Good evening and welcome again. We're glad that you're here. Appreciate Jared reading our scripture tonight. We're grateful that you've chosen to be here. We hope and pray that the time that we are here together will be beneficial to all of us. We're very thankful for our visitors. As always, we encourage you to come back to be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're going to be looking at Psalm 116, and our study tonight is going to focus on the theme, staying close to God in tough times. Life can present an array of difficulties and tough times. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. If you live long enough on this earth, you'll face trouble and trial. And yet, in the midst of the difficulties of life, we're encouraged to stay close to God. The psalmist here expresses his closeness to God. No one knows the author of this psalm. Some speculate that it was Hezekiah. It may very well have been Hezekiah. You recall in the Old Testament, God summoned the prophet Isaiah to go to the king and to tell him to set his house in order because he said, you will die and not live. The text tells us that immediately Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and began to pray to God. God heard his prayer and ultimately extended his life some 15 years. So it may very well be the case that the backdrop to this psalm is the life of Hezekiah. I want to begin tonight by first of all talking about the pain of the psalmist or his struggles. And there are two ways that the psalmist describes his suffering. First he talks about his physical suffering and then his emotional suffering. I want to begin by, first of all, accentuating the fact that he was suffering physically. And we have a description of his troubles. In verse 3 and also in verses 6 and 8, the psalmist outlines the troubles that he faced. And there are two very specific things that stand out. First of all, he learned about the frailty of life. Note, if you would, in verse 3, the pains of death encompassed me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. And then drop down and look at verse 8. In verse 8, he said, For you have delivered my soul from death. The frailty of life, the fact that one day you can be healthy and the next day at the brink of death. I mentioned a moment ago the words of Job in Job chapter 14. When Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Describing not only the frailty of life, but the fact that our tenure here upon this, upon this earth is brief at best. And then he also learned about being feeble in life. 
Note, if you would, what is said in verse 6. He said, the Lord preserves the simple. And then he makes this statement. I was brought low, and you saved me. The word low here in the original carries with it the idea to hang down. And really the idea is that the psalmist is describing his loss of strength, his weakness. Many times when we are in the throes of difficulties and trials, sickness and even illness, we have diminished strength. And our suffering is compounded by that fact. And then the depth of his troubles, the psalmist in a very succinct way describes his troubles and the depth of those troubles. Look at verse 10 and listen to what he says in four words. I am greatly afflicted. Not just afflicted, not just a little bit afflicted, but he said, I'm greatly afflicted. If it if it were the case that Hezekiah was the author of this psalm, the very fact that he had been told to set his house in order because he was going to die underscores the great affliction that he was faced with. So he suffered physically but also emotionally. In verses 6 and 7 he describes the turbulence in his life. In verse 6, the passage I mentioned a moment ago, I was brought low, and yet he saved me. And then he said, return to your rest, O my soul. And the idea is that at one time there had been a sense of tranquility, calmness, or peace in his life. And now that peace has been disrupted. Many of us have faced difficulties in life, and sometimes we don't really appreciate how blessed we have been until we have been stripped of our health physically and even emotionally. And so the psalmist here speaks of his turbulence. And there are a lot of people in our world today, and there are people in the church whose lives have been shattered, whose dreams have been torn asunder. There are a lot of people in the church who are suffering with sadness and sorrow. And so add to his turbulence the fact that there were also tears. The Bible speaks of his tears in verse 8. He said, you've delivered my soul from death and my eyes from tears. There have been some folks, because of the difficulties and the depth of trials and tribulations that they faced. They've gone to sleep, weeping. There are, some, there are some people that have been unable to sleep because of the physical and emotional strain of the difficulties that have been imposed upon them. Tears are a natural expression of sorrow and being overwhelmed with the troubles of life. David in the Psalms said on one occasion in Psalm 56, he said, you put my tears into your bottle. David was a man that was acquainted with phys physical and emotional duress. 
Sometimes we look back at some of the great characters of the Bible and we see them as spiritual giants, and they were in many respects. But they were human beings as well. And just because they may have been spiritual giants and used by God to do great, great things did not exempt them from the trials and the tribulations and tears of life. I want you to note now the prayers of the psalmist. We talk about his pain, his struggles, but note with me, if you would, his prayers, his supplications. First, he makes this statement that he was heard by the Lord. Note what is said in verse 1. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. There are a couple of things that maybe we ought to appreciate about prayer. First is the great privilege that we have to go before the throne of God. Prayer is one of the great spiritual blessings that we enjoy in life. Paul talks about how in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, that every spiritual blessing resides in Christ Jesus. And Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, at verse 12, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And so the privilege of going before the throne of God and bowing our heads and praying to him and to know that God hears those prayers. John said in 1 John chapter 5, this is a confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God hears our prayers. He may not answer them in maybe the way we would like, but God does answer our prayers. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says you need to wait. The psalmist here speaks of the fact that God heard him. And then I think about the power of prayer. Look again at what the psalmist said. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. In verse 4, then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. How many times in life have we found ourselves on the brink of some type of trouble or trial or disaster? Or maybe the affliction has not been personal in the sense that we are undergoing illness or disease, but somebody that we love is under great duress. And we have poured our heart out to Jehovah God and to know that God hears those prayers. James said in chapter 5, verse 6, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There is power in prayer. And many of us can look back at circumstances in our lives and we think about the duress and the difficulties that we were faced with. We would get up in the morning and we would pray to God. We'd go to bed at night in prayer to God. And we look back and we reflect upon the fact that a gracious God answered our prayers. The Hebrew writer said that we ought to draw boldly under the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
When we go before the throne of God, we go with the expectation that, number one, God hears us. And number two, God, that God acts in accordance with his will. Aren't you thankful for the providential care and goodness of God? The psalmist talks about the graciousness of Almighty God, which really suggests a second, I think, key point here. Not only was he heard by the Lord, but he was helped by the Lord. Note, if you would, his assessment of the Lord in the long ago. Pick up, if you would, in verse 4. He said, I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Now listen to him in verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. How many times in life have you walked away thinking the Lord was with me? The Lord was helping me. And you reflect upon his goodness and his graciousness and his mercy. Many Bible characters in days gone by have expressed those sentiments. Again, I think about the words of David. David said on one occasion, this I know, God is for me. The psalmist said on one occasion, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. To know that God is there. And then I think about his aid from the Lord. Consider verse, consider if you would, again in verse 6. He said, the Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. The psalmist here talks about the aid that was rendered to him by God in heaven. There are three distinct characteristics of God. Number one, he is omnipotent. That is, he is all-powerful. God has the power to come to our rescue. The second is that God is omnipresent. He is ever-present. In Psalm 139, the psalmist basically asks the question, where could I flee from the presence of God? And his response, nowhere. God is everywhere. And so I think about God, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence. God is all-knowing, isn't he? The fact that God is omniscient and understands and knows every single burden Every tear that falls from our eyes, God is mindful of it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 on one occasion that the very hairs of our head are numbered. Now if God has the ability to number the hairs of every head, then he has the same ability to take into consideration the tears that flow from our, from our eyes. So yes, God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He is omnipresent. He is ever-present. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, there's not a word on my tongue, but lo, you know it all together. God knows us inside and out. And then there is a third thing that I think you need to see in this point, that he was, 
and that is he was hopeful in the Lord. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, the psalmist said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now think about if it were the case that this was Hezekiah writing. Hezekiah is at the door of death. The prophet has just summoned him and said, look, you need to set your house in order because you're going to die and not live. And yet, even if we pass from this life, we have the hope of a better life, don't we? Did you know that there are provisions for us in death? If life were to end today as a child of God, there are provisions for us. Number one, I know I do not, I do not have to walk the corridor of death alone. Many times people are fearful of death and they're frightened by the prospects of dying. Sometimes individuals have died alone. They've been found by friends and family members. But if you're in Christ, you didn't die alone. The psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? He said, For you are with me. When Lazarus died, as depicted by Jesus in Luke 16, the Bible says that the angels bore his spirit, his soul, into the bosom of Abraham. Jesus said in Luke chapter 23 in talking to one of the thieves on the cross who had said to him, remember me when you come in your kingdom. The Lord said today you'll be with me in paradise. So there are provisions for us and there are promises to know that if I die, I die in Christ and I go to be with the Lord and I am with him forevermore. The Bible talks about dying and going to a place called paradise. I mentioned a moment ago in Luke 23, 43. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 25, Jesus said of Lazarus, and now he is comforted. So in paradise, it's a place of comfort. It's also described as a place of rest because in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, John said, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. And he said, their works do follow them. And so to know that we have rest in the Lord. When Paul thought, when Paul thought about death in the long ago, in writing to the church at Philippi, he said, for to me to live is Christ, but he said to die is gain. In verse 23, he said to depart and be with Christ is far better. So put it all together. You think about going to a place described by Jesus as paradise. In paradise, you're going to a place of comfort, of rest, of gain. A place that is described as better. Many times we cling to life. And yet to know that there is a better place that awaits us. And then finally I think about there is power over death. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus destroyed him who has the power of death. That's the devil. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, the dead will be raised. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, death will be swallowed up in victory. 
passage that many of us have read time and again in Revelation chapter 21 at verse 4, where John said that death would be no more. To know that when we die in Christ, in the Lord, that we go to a better place and ultimately we'll live forevermore. So there's hope in death. The psalmist said, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Don't you think that God is fully aware of every single saint that goes home and to know that we can go be with him? And then there is a third thing I want you to see in our study very quickly. It has to do with the profession of the psalmist. And really there are two key things that I think are borne out in Psalm 116. In light of all of God's gracious blessings, the psalmist, first of all, talks about his vows to the Lord. And the bottom line is he's saying he's going to devote his life to God. So pick up with me, if you would, and note verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I'll take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Not just privately, but publicly. And then look at verse 16. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. So the psalmist here really is saying, my life is yours, God. Use me in your service. Many years ago when I'd, just got, I'd really just gotten started preaching, I met a fellow that had been through a terrible ordeal, physically speaking. He told me on one occasion that he was in ICU. And he said, while in ICU, he was conscious the doctor, however, thought he was unconscious or asleep. And so he told the nurse, there's no need to call me during the night. He said, Mr. Martin will never make it through the night. And he said, I heard him. And he said, when I heard him make that statement that I wasn't going to make it through the night, I began praying to God. And he said, I prayed to God that he would spare my life. And he said, Lord, if you'll spare my life, I'll devote myself to serving you as best I can. Now, he was a child of God. But what he was saying to God is, I'm willing to do whatever I can to further your cause if you'll spare my life. And God, in his kind providence, spared his life. As far as I know, he used every day that he had to advance the kingdom. He was used by God. I mentioned a moment ago that sometimes we don't realize how blessed we are until we're stripped from the blessings that we once enjoyed physically and even emotionally. And then there's a second thing I want you to see. Not just his vows to the Lord, but his veneration of the Lord. First, his gratitude 
And then his attitude. Consider, if you would, what is said in verse 17. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. You know, we pray to God and we acknowledge our needs, our wants, our desires. Sometimes we come before him, we come into his presence with heavy hearts. And the burdens of life have overwhelmed us. And we ask God to intervene, to aid us, to be with us, to bless us, and he does. Do we ever pause afterward and thank him for all that he's done? You remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4? In nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication. Now listen to him. And thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. To thank God for his great blessings. I think about the words of the psalmist in Psalm 68, verse 19. When he said, blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits or blessings. To step back and just survey all the great blessings that we enjoy. And the fact that we've been down in the valley and now we're out of that valley. And to acknowledge that. And ask God. To ask God to continue to be with us. But to thank him to express thanksgiving to him. And then listen to his attitude. In verse 18, he said, I will pay my vows to the Lord. Now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. And then listen to what he says. Praise the Lord. You ever been through a whirlwind in life? I'm talking about when your life has literally been turned upside down. So much so that you've lost sleep, you're not focused, your heart is burdened, you've shed tears upon tears upon tears, you've lived in anxiety day in and day out, and then that storm cloud passes, and that turbulent time backs away. How do you react? Here's the attitude of the psalmist. Praise the Lord. To get down on our knees and thank Almighty God. And to praise Him for all that He is and, that all, and for all that He does on our behalf. We talk about what it means to be a Christian. And I'll be very honest and candid with you. I don't know how folks make it through life without Christianity. I don't know how people are able to put one step in front of another without the Lord. And you talk about all the benefits and the blessings of being a child of God. As I mentioned a moment ago, you live long enough on this earth, you're going to face some tough times. And yet in the midst of those tough, tough times... To know that God is there. Just like David said, this I know, God is for me. To know that the words of the Hebrew writer are so true. When he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. As a matter of fact, the psalmist in this context makes an interesting statement. In verse 11 
I said in my haste, all men are liars. I think what he's saying is, under duress, he felt as if no one was there for him. No shoulder to cry upon. No one to sympathize and empathize with him. No one to encourage him. But the Lord was there. And so as a child of God, you may feel all alone. But I want to assure you, the Lord is there. And I really believe that one of the great things that we can sell to people in the world when it comes to becoming a child of God is you need him. You need him in this life. Oh, you need him in the next life, but you need him now. Because at best, life can be difficult. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for your love and care for us. And Father, we're grateful for your presence in our lives, your willingness to hear our prayers and to answer them according to your will. We're thankful for the peace that you give us in this life, the peace that passes all understanding. And Father, we know that there are people in the church, in this congregation, they're our family and they're suffering and hurting. And Father, we ask that you would bless them and comfort them and be with them and help us to be an encouragement to them. We ask that you would continue to bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. Put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. To recognize that without faith it's impossible to be well-pleasing to Him. To repent of your sins, to confess His name before others. To be immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that all your sins can be washed away. Because you see, it's at that point that you contact the blood of Christ. And John said it's the blood that washes away our sins. And then... It might be that you're here tonight, you're struggling. Maybe life, as you know it, is not what you would like it to be. I don't have a magic wand. I can't change your life overnight. But I know that we can rally around you. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. Because you see, we have that opportunity as members of the body of Christ, to be there for one another. And so we'd be, we'd be more than happy to do that with you tonight. Maybe you're hurting spiritually, and your life is out of kilter. We would encourage you to come back to a loving God. James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray for you tonight as we stand and sing.